Gospel of Luke, chapter number 3. Thankful again for the presence of each one this morning. Several hundred years without word from God, without a prophet, without any sort of, for the most part, worship of God, with the exception of those who worship the law uh, rather than God. Several hundred years later, there's a man showed up and he looked kind of funny. By our standards, he would be a, an outcast or a hobo, but his name was John. And he showed up and he showed up preaching one thing. And he showed up baptizing. And he showed up making a, a big making a big deal. And, and we're going to pick up reading where, where John began to do this in Luke chapter number 3, verse number 2. Luke 3, verse number 2. And Annas and Caiaphas... Being the high priest, the word of God came unto John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. So the first thing I want to try to make, make sure we understand is, is that John was not in a city. John was not in amongst everybody else whenever the word of God came to him. John separated himself. He got himself out. And I, I believe that he was led of God into the wilderness. And whenever he was, was in the wilderness, I believe that that the Spirit came to him, and that's what the, the Word of God came unto John in the wilderness. So he began there, and then he came, and, and I underlined in my word in my Bible this word all. He came into all the country about Jordan, and he was preaching. And I don't want to get kind of caught up on, on exactly the, the wording of this because it's a little different. It says he came into all the country about Jordan preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And there are certain religions out there, certain churches out there that will take this verse, they'll jerk it out and say, if you're not baptized, you're not going to heaven. There's a lot of people who believe that, that and, and some right here and around us, that, that say they come and say, I want to be baptized in the church. I want to make sure that, and I believe that we know that you can't be baptized into the church. You can be baptized. We used to baptize each other in the swimming pool all the time. I mean, just run up behind somebody and bloop, baptize them right there. But you can be baptized and, and, and people can say words over you and you can go underneath the water and come back up. But, but baptism is, is symbolic of us following the Lord. Joining into the church, being baptized into His church, following salvation. John came preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Now, the word baptism means immersion. So whenever John is preaching the baptism of repentance, he is, he is preaching immersion, complete surrender, submission into or unto, which is where, where that word of comes from, repentance. Without repentance, we know that there is no remission of sin. Without repentance, we know that there is no salvation. Without repentance, we know that there is no pardon of sin. Without repentance, we know that baptism is, is just getting wet. And I have to believe that a lot of people came to John in those days saying, John, baptize me. John, I want to be baptized. Two weeks ago, in a, in a church right around here, a guy came to me and asked, he said, do you believe if somebody comes to the church and says, I want to be baptized into this church, that the church should baptize me into the church? I said, I believe that if a person is saved and the person wants to be baptized into the church, that the church should baptize them into the church. He said, no, that's not what I said. He said, if someone comes and asks to be baptized into the church, I said, well, is that person saved? He said, we don't know. That's the problem. 
Baptism is, is something that follows salvation, and a lot of times people put a, a lot of emphasis on it. And down through the years, a lot of trouble has arisen from the doctrine, from the teaching of baptism. Whether it's in a pool or a pond or a, a baptistry or a creek or a river or an ocean or, or whatever it may be, a, a cow trough for missionaries in Africa that, that have no other option. And people fuss about this, that, and the other. And I heard a guy say one time, he said, I had to go get rebaptized because whenever I went under, my foot came up. So he had dunked me twice. And whenever we get hung up on all of these different ways that we believe baptism should be, that we believe baptism should go, that, that we begin to be a lot like these people in John's day, that they came down to the river to see what was going on, and all that they could see from the back of the line all that they could see from behind the crowd was John throwing people under the water and bringing them back up. That's all that they could see. I have to imagine that they couldn't hear everything that John was saying. That there was probably a pretty good crowd gathered even around the river. But John came preaching first. He didn't come baptizing. He didn't come saying, let's be baptized and let's all be happy and merry and go our separate ways. He came preaching the baptism, the immersion the, the complete surrender of repentance. Salvation has two responsibilities in it. Two things have to happen for salvation to occur. The first of which is there had to be a sacrifice. Jesus fulfilled that part. That was his responsibility. The second is there has to be someone willing for that sacrifice to take their place. We understand that if, if someone volunteers to take my spot, lead and sing. That if I don't want to give it up and I stand up here like a knot on a log and I say, no, I'm good. That anybody who may volunteer to take my place, they're not going to be able to do it if I don't let them. But then if you volunteer to come lead singing for me, I have to let you. Jesus volunteered to take our place on Calvary's cross, to take our place in hell, he fulfilled his side of it. He said, I am willing. I will go. He did it. He done it. It's finished. Second responsibility in salvation is, is us. And then these days I see all over uh, Facebook and, and YouTube and, and even TV preachers, they'll say, all you have to do is accept Jesus into your heart. That's not salvation. Accepting Jesus into your heart. <laughs> is not salvation. Being baptized is not salvation. I believe there's a lot of people that, that have sat on church pews all of their life that's in hell today because they thought that they had something that was close. That they thought that they were going to be okay. That they thought that it was going to work out. That they thought that, that what they had was good enough. There was a movie come out several years ago. It's called Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. And they put these gold tickets in these candy bars. And if you opened up a candy bar and it did not have a golden ticket in it, what did that mean? It means you did not win, right? But if you open up a candy bar and it had a golden ticket in it, it means you won. It was either one or the other. They didn't open up candy bars and there'd be part of a golden ticket in there. It was either you won or you lost. In salvation, it is just that clear. It is yes or no. You won or you lost. You believed in Jesus. You repented of your sins. You have salvation or you don't. It's, it's just that simple. 
John came to all the country around Judea preaching first the baptism of repentance for the remission of sin. If we don't admit that we have a problem, if we don't admit that sin has taken over our life, if we don't admit that we are in need of a Savior, if we do not find ourselves in a position that we can believe what Jesus did for us, then we can never have salvation. It's not about accepting Jesus in our heart. It's not about repeating a prayer after somebody. It's not about saying, oh, Jesus, save me. It is about the baptism of repentance, belief in Jesus Christ. It, it, can't, it can't really happen without it. John came preaching the baptism of repentance, and I believe that this applies to saved and lost people alone, and then we're going to dwell on those without Jesus for just a minute. Let's continue to read in verse number 4. It says, It is written in the words of Isaiah, the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, and make his path straight. Enter the valley. Uh, every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be brought low. And every crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways shall be made smooth. And all of the flesh shall see the salvation of God. Number 6 says, All flesh shall see the salvation of God. You say try, and try saying that fast. It messes and get you all tripped up. All flesh is going to see the salvation of God. Everybody, every single individual that has ever walked the face of the earth has seen Christ. They have seen salvation. Jesus is the salvation of God. That is what it's referring to. Every, all flesh shall have opportunity. But I want to back up just a minute in verse number 5. He says, every valley should be filled, every mountain and every hill should be brought low, and the crooked should be made straight, and the rough ways should be made smooth. Now, I believe that this is spiritual preparation for, for salvation, spiritual preparation for blessings, obstacles being removed. However, I believe that this is preparing for the simplicity of salvation. In forestry, an FFA contest, well, there's, a con there's a part of the contest called pacing. <laughs> And what you're doing is you're measuring a distance between two points by stepping it off. But the problem with that is it's really, really easy to do walking across an asphalt parking lot because your steps are always the exact same distance apart. The, problem, uh, the, the problems that arise is whenever you're going down a hill, your steps are a lot longer. And when you're going up a hill, your steps are a lot shorter. And whenever you get to places that you maybe cannot cross or a mud hole or a creek or something... It just, it just becomes a, an obstacle that is extremely difficult to mount with any sort of precision. What John did is John prepared for the simplicity of the salvation of Jesus Christ. Every valley shall be filled. He said it's going to be easy to get there. Salvation is the easiest, hardest thing that you'll ever do. I never say it's the easiest because it's not. I never say it's the hardest because it's not. Salvation is easy because of the way that Jesus Christ made it because of the way that God offers it as a free gift, as repentance of our sin and belief in Jesus Christ of our Savior. That is the simplicity of salvation. It is easy. It, it just don't get no easier. Problem is, we make it hard. We make it hard. Because I want to depend on myself. I don't want to follow the directions of the GPS. I can get us there. I don't want to believe in Jesus Christ. I'm going to live a good life. You live a good life without Christ, you're going to go to hell. You pray all the time, but you never believe in Jesus. You're going to go to hell. You attend church every day, 
never miss a service, always on time, get ordained as a deacon, become a minister, and never believe in Jesus Christ, you're going to go to hell. If you're a Sunday school teacher, a song leader, sing specials all the time, and have memorized the Bible but never believed in Jesus, you're going to go to hell. It's either all or nothing. John made it easy. John came preaching the baptism of repentance. In verse number 6, he says, All flesh shall see the salvation of God. All flesh. I believe that is every lost person that has ever walked the face of the earth. Does God deal with some a little longer? I'm thankful that God was merciful toward me. I'm thankful that God has been merciful toward my family, and I pray that He has continued uh, continues to be merciful toward sinners because God deals with some people for a long time. But the thing is, is, is that Christ came to die for everybody. And it is God's will that none should perish, but all should come to repentance. And that is through the grace of God. That's it. But if you don't believe, if you don't repent, we'll never get there. The second direction that, that I take from this is for those of us who are saved. Following salvation, there is still need for repentance in our life. Those of us who are saved, there is still, not, not just need, there is a requirement of repentance in our life for those of us who are saved. Because we ain't right. We ain't perfect. Most of the time, we ain't even good. There is a call for repentance in our life. And a lot of times, we'll say, well, well nobody's going to find out about it. What's the big deal? The big deal is that God knows it all. And the secret things will come out one day. Somebody else, a church member, a preacher, a pastor, a mom or daddy may not have seen this, but God did. Following salvation and everything that happens before salvation, God wipes that away. But following salvation, everything that we do, everything that we think, everything that is in our heart, we shall be judged for it's coming. Go with me if you would to Matthew chapter number 11. Gospel of Matthew chapter number 11. Jesus' teaching immediately following His teaching on, on John. He began to, uh, verse number 20, Matthew chapter 11. Then he began to upbraid the cities wherein most of his mighty works were done because they repented not. What Jesus did is, is he came through all of these cities. It's like doing a tour of Washington Parish, except for, you know, he walked hundreds of miles and not just from Pine to Thomas. It's like doing a tour of Washington Parish and going to Franklin and to Bogalusa and to Angie and the Sun and to, and to Kentwood and uh, to Sandy Hook and, and just, I mean, all the way around the parish and even touching some of these outlying parishes because he know, we know that he went on not only to, to his people, not only to the Jews, but the Sunday school lesson taught this morning is that he went outside of that as well. And so it's like him doing a tour of all of that and at the end of the day, they repented not. He said, verse 21, Woe unto thee, uh, Chorazin. Woe unto thee, Bethesda. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the day of judgment than for you. And now Capernaum, which are exalted unto heaven, shall be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which have been done in you were done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment 
than for thee. We have been taught the Bible all of our life and we still refuse to obey it. We have been taught repentance all of our life and we still say, God, I don't have anything to repent for. You know, one of the, 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 the easiest tools that Satan has in his belt and he attacks every single one of us with it is pride. Because whenever we hear repent, we say, I don't have anything to repent of. Ain't that what we say? I don't have anything to repent of. I have done nothing wrong. They say that a lot of times that's the first thing that happens. Whenever they catch these knuckleheads, the police will put them handcuffs on them and throw them in their car and say, man, you got the wrong guy. I didn't do anything wrong. Whether or not it's true, the cop don't know. But the first thing that they're saying is, I didn't do anything wrong. It's not me. As Christians, whenever we are convicted of something in our life, we, 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 we want to move past it and we want to say, God, I just won't do it again. We never repent of it. God, I'm going to do better, but we don't repent of it. To repent is to, is to admit that we are wrong. And we are such a prideful generation that we struggle so hard to do that. We don't want to say I'm wrong. We don't want to say that, that, that I was wrong. We don't want to say that, that I'm not right, that I'm not perfect, that I'm not, I'm not what I've... All of our life we are taught as kids coming up that good grades are a good thing, that you want to make good grades. Whenever you try out for a sport, you want to be the best person on the team. You want to give it your all. You want to give it your best. A lot of times that fails to translate over to being the best Christian that we can be, but we, we want to be the best. And, and so many people today are, are giving trophies for participation and, and saying good job whenever they really didn't do that good of a job. And, and they're built up and built up and built up and built up to the point that they think they are the best. And that part translates over to our moral life. Because whenever we think that we are above it, we are beyond it, and, and, and we didn't do anything wrong. First thing we want to do is we want to throw blame over here. We want to throw blame over there. And we want to say, well, if they didn't do that, and if they didn't do that, and it had this not happened, and, and it's their fault. It's, it's not my fault. God, the situations, I didn't have any other choice. All of that is irrelevant. All of it is irrelevant because we're responsible for our own decisions. We're responsible for what we think, what we say, what we feel, and how we act. And Jesus said, he said, all of these things that I've done in, 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 among you, all of these cities wherein mighty works were done, all of these churches wherein mighty works have been done, are losing sight of the Jesus Christ who did it. Because we begin to worship self instead of worshiping God. Because we begin to worship what we have and what we've done and what we can achieve and how good we are instead of worshiping God. Jesus said, Woe unto you because you repented not. Turn to the book of 1 John. Most of you probably know exactly where I'm going. 1 John chapter number 1. Verse number 6, if we say that we have fellowship with Him and we walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. 
And if we, but if we walk in light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanseth us from all sins. If we walk in the light, that, that part of that walking in the light is repentance. Not only at the point of salvation, but every day after that. Because John said, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we say that we've done nothing wrong, we may not have... Yesterday, Bailey and some other kids were playing. And one of the kids started throwing sand. And then Bailey threw sand. Well, Bailey just threw sand on the ground. The other kid was throwing sand at the other kids. So I went over there and I told Bailey, stop. At that point, she had done nothing wrong. Right? She had done nothing wrong in that particular situation. But just a second before that, she pushed the kid down the sand pile. She had done nothing wrong in throwing sand. We may not do anything wrong in a particular situation or a particular moment because we choose to remember the highlights. Ain't that the reason Sports Center exists? They don't show you the worst of the worst. They don't show you the, the terrible blowout games. They show you the highlight reel. They show you the best. And a lot of times in our life, that is what we choose to remember. That is what we choose to dwell on. We choose to say, God, look what I have done. God, look what I have accomplished. God, look what I can do. But if we say that we have no sin, if we say that we have not messed up, if we say... Honestly, if we think in ourselves that we are worthy, then, then we're already messed up. Verse number 9. Repentance. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if we say we have no sin, we make Him a liar and His Word is not in us. It goes back to that fellowship in verse number 6 and 7. If we say that we are not wrong, if we say that we know better than God, if we say that I have nothing to confess to, that, that I was in the right. It is impossible. It is impossible for us to be right and contrary to God's Word at the same time. It's impossible. It's impossible. They used to say in elementary school that you could take the north end of a magnet and the north end of another magnet and you couldn't put them together. They said it was impossible. But you know what we did? We took a, a, a C-clamp and we put them two magnets together. Because it was possible with enough force. But there is not enough force on the planet for us to, to be right and contrary to God's Word at the same time. It can't happen. Just like you can't be saved by being baptized. That's contrary to God's Word. Just like we can't lie, cheat, steal, and still be in fellowship with God. Because John said, verse number 6, if we have fellowship with Him and we walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. We either either in fellowship with God or we're not. There's no part of the way there's no almost, there's no part-time Christian. Brother Bryant preached up here Wednesday night. He said whenever Jesus called His disciples that they forsook everything. That they turned it all loose. That they cast down their nets. 
Whenever Jesus called Matthew, he said, follow me. Jesus, Matthew walked out of the tax collector's booth. Left it all. Left his profession. Left everything he had trained for. Left his job, his income. Left it all. And followed Jesus. He was a full-time disciple of God. And we have to be the same way. There's no part-time. There's no almost. And it begins with the baptism of repentance. That is not a literal baptism. It is an immersion, a submission to repent for the things in our life that we know aren't right, that we know that we have messed up in, that we know that we have done wrong. And it's not repenting to some person. It's not repenting to an individual. It is repenting to God. He's the one that forgives us. Your mama can't forgive you. Your daddy can't forgive you. Your church can't. God. God is the only one that offers forgiveness for sins. That is it. Verse number 6. He said, All flesh. In Luke chapter 3, I'm sorry. All flesh shall see the salvation of God. We read about two different instances, two different groups of people. John is preaching to them, and he says, All flesh will see the salvation of God. Everyone will get an opportunity. I urge and encourage you to repent of your sins. And after that, Jesus came. John made it simple. Jesus came, and, and He walked through all of these countries, and, and He did mighty works and miracles, and He raised the dead and healed the sick and the blind and multiplied fish and bread. And, I mean, Jesus did it all. And he said, even so, they repented not. They repented not of their sins. The other side of that coin is following salvation. We are not safe from sinning. We are not safe from the devil working to get after us. We're not safe from that. At no point in time in my life have I pretended to be perfect or believe that I was. Because as humans, we can't even fathom what it is to be perfect. We mess up that often. But we serve a God that will forgive us. We serve a God that will help us. We serve a God that will help us. That will help us get better. That will help us get back in fellowship with Him. We serve a God of, of endless mercy and grace. We serve a God that, that we can reach, that we can touch, that we can get to. We got to get down off of that pride horse and we got to say, God, we need help. We got to say, God, I need you. Because we can't make a difference without Him. We can't have an impact in a positive way without Him. We can't reach a world that needs Jesus so desperately bad without Him. And if God is going to use us, we have to have that mind, that attitude. Of repentance. I pray that God, that I and that we all could have it the way that we should, the way that we know we ought to, the way that God demands it, and the way that our life needs it. Well, we have verse for song.